Excellent. Find your seats. We're about to get started. Uh, Daniel's about to reveal a, uh, a magic self-assessment form that we're going to be using to unlock all your dreams for the next 20 years with guaranteed success. So uh, pay attention. We're going to learn some magic here. Great. Thanks so much. So this session is called Exploring the Vital Ingredients of Environment and Relationship. Um, yeah, <laughs> nice and snappy. I'm, I'm the best. I, is Becca around? Maybe she can um, chuck the slides up. Oh, yeah, well done. Sorry, didn't see you there. Becca, you're doing a great job. We salute you. Um, just wanted to reflect on something I said in the last session about um, our attempts to multiply, uh, multiply elders. I mentioned that we spent, um, we put £5,000 aside each year to do that for three years. I know that not all churches uh, are able to do that, but that's not really the point. Um, it does take courage to prioritize your time as a leader and your resources as a leader to say, I know that there are a number of good things we could spend that money on, and there are a number of good things that I could spend my time on, but I'm deciding to invest in this particular area. That takes courage in your own heart. It takes courage to take your team through that. And for you guys, whatever, whatever it might be, it just takes courage to do some of these things. Discipleship isn't the easy way. So we're going to explore the vital ingredients of environment, environment, and relationship. So the overall aim has been to create a passionate conviction that courageous multiplication of disciples is essential, a conviction, and to give you strategies and principles to help you do it. Um, it's helpful just to keep the aim in mind. The aim of this session is to examine the importance of having a variety of specific learning environments in which to give and receive discipleship, and the nature of the relationships that surround these. So, your church has a culture, whether you know you have a culture or don't know you've ha you have a culture, whether you've created that culture or it's just happened, it does exist. And secondly, you have certain structures you have things that you routinely do that you are hoping and praying and trusting will produce disciples. I just want to take a few minutes to explore that idea so that we can make sure we are genuinely giving ourselves to the right things. So... Um, if we go to the next slide, you'll see this lovely Venn diagram, because I'm uh, very good at maths. Um, I just go to a Venn diagram every time I can. This talks about three learning environments that help you make disciples. This was quite a revelation to me when I came across this model, um, which is in the disciple-making culture book. I, I am very instinctive as a leader. 
And that, that's really helpful in the moment. But what it does do is it maybe allows you to kind of coast on your natural ability to cope with any situation that comes at you rather than stepping back and designing something. And so looking at this, I found really, really helpful. I'll just talk you through them. The classroom environment is self-explanatory. There's a sage on the stage, and then everyone else sits passively listening. So if you were to learn Spanish in this way, you'd go to a Spanish class with a teacher who teaches you Spanish. The church equivalent of that would be the Sunday sermon. You have someone at the front, an expert, teaching. Largely, that's one-way communication. You don't know whether people are listening. You don't know whether they're understanding, and you don't know whether they're obeying. But you do have the advantage of having a really excellent communicator and a lot of people hearing the information. So it has some strengths, and it has some weaknesses. The second one is apprenticeship. If you were learning Spanish, this would be when you get alongside an expert Spanish teacher to have conversation with. In uh, church life, for me, that would be looking at Angela Kem's diary and saying, here's three things I want to be part of. Please take me with you and teach me what you do when you do that sort of thing. And so I go along with her, and I ask her lots of questions, and she tells me what she's doing. And she involves me, and when I make mistakes, she corrects me and explains what's happening. So that's when someone is alongside you who's an expert, but you're actually on the job at that point, and you have a relationship with the person. Another example of that in church life might be like a one-on-one -on -one discipleship. As long as you're actually doing stuff, not just sitting there talking at each other. And then finally, the immersive, immersive experience. If you're learning Spanish, this is when you actually go to Spain or to South America and you just immerse yourself in a culture where everyone speaks Spanish and everyone thinks Spanish and all the signs are in Spanish. In church life, we do this really well when it comes to sung worship. We have an immersive experience of sung worship every single Sunday. And so, largely, our churches are quite good at worshiping. They're quite good at worshiping because they spend 30 minutes of it, uh, 30 minutes doing it every week with other people who are doing it. You may not have had a sermon where someone said, this is how you clap, this is how you put your hand in the air, this is how to sing a harmony, but people just pick it up because the people around them are doing it. So if we want to make thorough, genuine disciples, we need to give them these three environments in which to grow. Does that make sense? Are there any questions, comprehension questions about that? Anything spring to mind you want clarity on, on any of that? No. Okay. So if we add this idea of the three environments together with the relationship that we explored beforehand. So if we go to the next slide, just remind you about that. Close proximity, an attractive life, clear communication. If you have somebody who is making themselves available to you, 
and making themselves vulnerable with you and whose life you genuinely want to replicate. And if they're able to describe it, because not everybody is, are they? Some of our best worship leaders are actually our worst disciplers. It comes so easy to them that they can't describe to someone else what they're doing. So just because somebody's very good at something doesn't naturally mean that they're going to be good at raising other people. I think it's really important that we try to think about discipleship as kind of a group activity, a family activity where we all participate. But we need to be honest about the structures we've built, the vehicles we've got in our church life, the routine things we do, to say, do they provide a classroom experience and an apprenticeship experience and an immersive experience in a relationship where somebody is by your side, being vulnerable, has an attractive life, and is able to articulate that? So that's quite a lot of variables. But it's not beyond our wit to kind of sit down and work out what we're doing too much of, what we're doing too little of, and where we leave ourselves vulnerable. So I guess the implication of all this is if we do what we've always done, we'll get what we've always got. I mean, that's perfectly obvious, isn't it? We need to create specific learning experiences and be careful to build meaningful relationships with those we are discipling. So <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to do a little self-assessment. Um, are these on people's tables? So on your tables, in the uh, folder, your table leader will distribute some self-assessment forms. I'll just give you a second to receive those. What I would like you to do is I'd like you to identify five of those options which you most commonly participate in, in terms of your own discipleship. So just down that central column, just pick five things which are most relevant to you in terms of how you receive and engage with discipleship. So the example I've got here, someone's written podcast, sung worship, conferences, books, and mentoring. You, you, you just circle the five that are most relevant to you. Yeah, listening to them. Are you an avid podcaster? Do you, do you listen to more podcasts than you go to small group or mission trips? Yeah, if you can't get to five, just go with four. And then cover yourself with sackcloth and ashes. <laughs> are we going to do the self-assessment now? Yep. So having, is, has anybody not quite got there yet? Okay, so what I then want you to do for the ones that you've chosen is I want you to do a slight self-assessment on the environment and the relationship. So on the left-hand side of the page is the environment, three learning environments. I want you to identify which of those environments your particular means of discipleship falls into. So the podcast 
is obviously a classroom type experience where you're just receiving information. You're not able to have a conversation with the person. You're not in an immersive experience with them. It's just information. And then on the relationship side, a podcast would be somebody's attractive life. So you obviously there's something attractive about them that makes you want to listen to them. And they're communicating clearly, but there's no close proximity. So you can see along the top there that we put some ticks and crosses. So you just need to do that for those other ones that you've chosen. Does that make sense? Okay, one more minute on that. Okay, I've just had a question about the difference between apprenticeship and immersion. An immersive experience is kind of an ambient, passive experience where you just happen to be surrounded by people who are doing the thing that you're interested in. So um, when, when my children were born, they were born into an immersive experience of my family where they're just surrounded by how we do life as a family. And um, then I can get alongside my children in a more sort of hands-on, meaningful way, taking them through, explaining, doing some proactive, communicative apprenticeship. But those two things are slightly different. So I would say um, growing up in New Frontiers has been an immersive experience of all sorts of things, going to Stonely, going to Downs, going to New Day or whatever, Mobilize, just being around other people who are pursuing God is an immersive experience that encourages me and it challenges me and it shows me how other people live and what they prioritize. But when Mike Betts has reached out to me and said, I'd like to shape your life in this way or that way and, and sort of walked through specific things with me and given me opportunities, that's an apprenticeship that's quite different. That's very proactive. It's communicative. It's trial and error, feedback. You're on the job. Does that make sense? Okay. My good friend, uh, Walter, filled out his form. And so I'm just going to um, give, you, give you a bit of an example way of discussing um, what he's written. What we're trying to do is to take stock of where we are. This, this is like a neutral exercise. It's not to try and embarrass anybody. It's just to identify genuinely where we are so that we can see where the opportunities are for growth. So Walter has written down podcasts. Put your hand up if you put podcasts down. Uh, that is amazing. I really thought everybody's hand would be up. So that's very few people. That is incredible. Wow. Lesson learned. Sermon. Who's put sermon down? Walter, you haven't put sermon down. <laughs> um, Walter hasn't put small group down either. Who's put small group down? A few hands and a few shaking heads. Counseling. Yeah, a few. So, so far, Walter's just put down podcast. Sung worship in a service. Yeah, again, I, I thought everybody's hand would be up there. Conferences. 
books, um, mentoring, coaching, mission trips, and lead ID similar. <laughs> okay, so what, what Valter put down was podcasts, sung worship, conferences, books, and mentoring, coaching. So one of the things that I noticed straight away is that you've only got one here that is anything like apprenticeship. So um, what does that feel like? Great. <laughs> so I think, um, I think when I look back, there's been different seasons, and different seasons have helped different um, important experiences for me. So I think um, probably the, the kind of apprenticeship experience kind of lasted about four years for me. I was the eternal intern at uh, King's Church Norwich, and uh, Gough Hope took me to lots of places, Morris took me to lots of places, and uh, I just spent lots of time. It was great, and after the four years, I felt so fat. I'd like learned so much, but I wasn't getting lots of exercise, so I think then we're looking for an opportunity to just exercise kind of uh, the experiences that I've learned. So I think then the whole season started of doing stuff, and I guess there was still input, but less input than before. Um, and actually, it's learning to put the things into practice that you've seen and tasted. So I think now, this season, is learning to put some of those things into practice um, while still maintaining the connections. Um, it's not that the others on the list aren't there, but I think those are the most prominent ones for me at the moment. Um, the other thing is that you've only got one down here which looks anything like close proximity, and that's sung worship, which you could argue is close proximity physically, but relationally and at heart level isn't interpersonal communication. Um, no, I guess, I mean, you've put in service in brackets. I think for me, it's a bit more than that. So I think worship's been a really important part of what God's been doing in my life at the moment. Uh, I think uh, Gary, my great friend uh, who's come to lead worship today, I think has been a fantastic inspiration to me. So we spent lots of time together, talked about worship, thinking it through together, encouraging one another. Uh, we've been doing spontaneous worship evenings, learning how to worship without a kind of program and structure. Um, so I think there's an element there for me uh, that's more than just a public setting. So put your hands up if you're brave enough. If you don't have any ticks in close proximity. Oh, Martin. Well, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. That's only a smattering of, of hands. Um, put your hand up if you don't have a tick in apprenticeship. Okay, so I guess in disciple-making, you're looking at three areas, character, knowledge, and skills. And uh, a lot of church life is based around imparting knowledge. And um, I guess when you're looking for leadership positions, you start to think about the skills and the character of the person. Um, but you need close proximity if you're going to really develop character in a way that you can see people through the hard times, challenge them 
on behavior that you're seeing. So for example, when we were doing Exploring Eldership with these 10 guys, we took their families away with us for the weekend. And I tell you, you can learn a lot about somebody when you see them with their children in tow in slightly stressful situations. Um, and that, that's not a criticism because it is difficult to be in those situations, but you learn a lot about people in those situations and you see things that you wouldn't see when they're up on stage preaching. And so I feel like some of those times for us were the most valuable. The, the teaching sessions and so forth were helpful enough, but seeing their lives seeing how they served one another as husband and wife, how they served their kids, how they served other people, was really, really telling. And encouraging and discouraging and lots of room for championing them and lots of room for shaping. If you live your life in such a way that nobody gets close to you, you can remain in your dysfunction. And I think people, some people naturally lean that way. So if we create church structures which allow for that completely, then we're sort of building in weakness. We need to create opportunities where people can connect. And so Fauta's going to help us think about how we can use this to take those opportunities to grow. Yeah. So um, we've filled it in, kind of assessed what are some of our strengths, what are some of our weaknesses, um, and I guess it's trying to draw some lessons from that. So I think for me, one of the lessons kind of learning through filling in this exercise, thinking, okay, so um, close proximity, apprenticeship has been something that's been very clearly present for a season. I guess now there's a slightly different season, but that's meant that that part has weakened. So maybe I need to become more intentional uh, in seeking out uh, inputs, in spending time with people, and uh, thinking, okay, that's happened in a season. I can't just rely on what's happened in the past season. I need to have mentors in my life today, and I need to be close uh, to them to be able to see what's happening and let them speak into my life. So that's a, a kind of a self-assessment. So it's not it's not a, a score list that you fill in thinking, ah, ah, I'm doing okay, I don't need any improvement. It's kind of trying to find the areas in which you can grow, where do you naturally go to, and what are some things that you could do in this season uh, that perhaps is not present to grow in that. So what we'd love you to do is to uh, pair up with somebody else around your table again um, and have a conversation. Just look through one another's lists and try to identify together what are some of your strengths, which are things that come naturally to you, what perhaps are some gaps, and what are some things that you could become intentional in in terms of pursuing. So we're going to do that in pairs together together and then we'll follow up uh, together afterwards. So we're going to do that in groups for the next 10 minutes uh, in pairs, I mean, um, and uh, have conversations about what's a strength, what's a weakness, where can you grow in? Excellent. If you can uh, press pause on your conversations for a moment, that would be great. Lots of conversations happening. Do you find this a helpful tool? Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, Daniel's more uh, than good looks. He's also got a very clever brain. He's put this together to really help us. I think it really creates a, a method of thinking through where are some of our weaknesses lie, where some of our strengths lie. So thank you, Daniel. Uh, it's very appreciated.
appreciate it. Um, we are running ahead of schedule, which is good news. So we thought we we're going to do a little bit of feedback just from some people uh, around the tables. Um, maybe some people uh, could share one or two things that you kind of feel God saying to you through doing this exercise uh, and what perhaps you might pursue uh, in the coming season uh, to grow in some of the areas that are missing at the moment. So if you feel brave and you want to share just in a minute or so, uh, what you feel God's saying and what you might want to put in place in this season. Just raise your hand and we'll get a microphone to you and hear a few examples around the room. Here we go. There's one over here. Andy. Okay, I thought uh, right at the bottom there, uh, second one up, mission trip. This year I took a whole group on a mission trip rather than just one or two of us. And it was a complete game changer having a team. And going across that exercise, I ticked all the boxes. So you've got classroom stuff going on. You've got immersion going on as you're together over the weekend. You've got apprenticeship going on as you're one-on-one doing stuff with people. There's close proximity. There's hopefully attractive life. Uh, Clear communication. It's all there. And I I just thought, mission trips now have got to be a team thing every time. Great. So... Keep your eye on the uh, RM newsletter that comes regularly. There's often uh, little bits of information there about mission trips coming up. So if you're interested in that, then uh, make sure you plug into that. Really, really helpful. Any other feedback? You're all feeling convicted. (laughs) Or none of you feel convicted. I'm not sure this is a good sign. Anybody? Brilliant. Tim in the back. Um, a very obvious thing, but just a conviction again that th- if we want to move forward with all of these things, it's very it is disruptive, and uh, we'll have to. It's sacrificial for us. We'll have to get outside of our you know, being distracted by all sorts of things, and we'll have to slow down. We'll have to make sacrifices to get in other people's lives and to invite them into our lives. Just that whole thing of questioning myself: Am I willing to, you know? to let that disruption happen in my life. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that, that this brings to the surface for me. So just hold on, Tim, if you want to hold that microphone. Can you give us one example of what it would cost for you to implement what you've been discussing around your table? Um, well, yes. <laughs> um, we... Well, for instance, we were talking uh, earlier on, um, what was that church you gave us an example of? Where they live with each other's houses? Yeah. Mike was saying about Jossie Chaco earlier on, you know, living in each other's houses. We, we had a friend from church come live with us for three months and um, got to see how we live as a family. And there was some discipleship elements to that and helped, went through marriage prep with her and her wife. And there's just, hus- yes, husbands. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's shouting out, husband! <laughs> we'll all love to hear how you that. dealt with that one, yeah. <laughs> We're very progressive here. Um, yes, that sort of thing of, um, yeah, and I think it's embarrassing to say, but even just things like switching the TV off mm. in the evening and just thinking, can I, when I'm tired and want to put my feet up, can I be saying to myself, no, why don't you just ask so-and-so if they want to come over and have a have a coffee together or something yeah. and yeah. just those little things that you think but I deserve this I've had a long day and think okay but we're, we're about something bigger than that so yeah. so small things and, and big yeah. things 
So turn off The Apprentice and do some in real life. That would be great. Okay. Um, some other examples. Really, really helpful. Thank you so much, Tim, for being open and vulnerable. Any other bits of feedback? Uh, one of the ones uh, that we looked at was a small group um, and close proximity, but it's only close proximity for the ones that are there. Mm. Um, and I'm sure most of us have groups where not everyone, uh, not everyone shows up on a regular basis. Um, and I think that's something that I want to grow in our small group and small groups is close proximity for everyone, not just the ones that show up. Um, and that can be different for different people, yeah. um, depending on where they're at and what's going on in life. But making sure you keep that close proximity, even if it's not possible for them to get along yeah. on your weekly evening or whenever it is. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, Morris was saying earlier on that there is a sense of initiative that we need to take, not just respond to when other people take initiative. So pursuing others, how what would that look like? Excellent, really helpful. One more. I think probably I'm left with quite a big question around um, how do you, as leaders, continue to keep yourself in a position where you can be fathered and discipled by others? Um, and what does that look like in those contexts? I feel um, in our in our kind of realm, it happens in terms of mutual brother-to-brother -brother dynamic, but probably we wouldn't say, you know, I suppose it's probably a voice across the whole table in a sense of that, you know, Paul says, you know, there's very few fathers, you know, you have lots of, you know, managers or whatever, but you don't have many fathers. And I think for us, that's something that just is, is running through my head the whole day we've been talking, is that dynamic of, um, you know, we've got the privilege of fathering others in the church context, but, but what does it look like for us to be fathered? And how, do, how are we proactive in chasing that out? both in our local context, what does that look like in terms of trying to learn from those around you, but I suppose also broader than that as well. Um, yeah. yeah, great. So can you, can you describe us practically, what does that look like for you over this coming season? What does it look like to be fathers? Uh, yeah, how would you question pursue that? I'm asking, Walter. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you'd have the answer. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I genuinely, I mean, I guess I ge that is honestly, I'm, I'm really grappling with that question in terms of how does that look? I think we... Um, as elders, we have create we have a we have a very healthy culture where we um, we serve one another, we minister to one another. I'm very blessed to have, you know, men far ahead in the faith that kind of uh, are on the team with us that can learn from. But I guess as I was going through that list that Daniel had given us, I was I was probably looking at quite black and white in terms of like what is purely me receiving, just purely me receiving. And I think well, mentoring and coaching there isn't that context for me where I'm just purely. In a, in a context where I'm able to just come and, and sit under someone and learn from them and be around them and, and be immersed in their life and their world, I'd probably say that's something I'm really lacking. Um, that, that, that would be what it would look like, is having something I could go to where there's no sense of, like, I'm not their pastor, uh, I'm not on their eldership team, I'm not leading the eldership team that they're on, uh, or anything like that. I'm able to just come and be and learn from them. Uh, yeah. Well, I just wanted to offer a couple of observations, really, to say, um, Mike... Mike often talks about the texture and feel of things rather than rigid structures. And I think it's important to remember that disciples make disciples, not systems. And 
So there are things we can do to slightly change the texture and feel of some of our vehicles at the moment. So I, I feel like within New Frontiers, I've grown up listening to huge platform preachers like Terry, David Holden, now Mike and others. And I don't have a chance to, to walk up to them in the sermon and, and ask them my list of questions. But I do feel like I can walk up to them and ask my questions when I bump into them. There is a fathering that, that's like they welcome it. And so I happened to be with David Holden the other day in some sort of transit for, f for half an hour. And I just sat down and was like, oh, well, while you're here, David, I just want to ask you a couple of questions about this sermon you preached 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> and, and I knew he would talk to me about it. And so I've, I've grown up feeling that I could, if I had the opportunity, they would welcome the interaction. And although that doesn't, that's not massively satisfying when you're desperate for it, it's nice to know that it might be possible. Um, I think we need to do what we can to try and make ourselves available. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you have to do what I've done. What, one of the things I've done is I put my own mobile phone number on every single email I send in, in the church. I don't get that very many phone calls that are like cold calls from church members, but they could phone me if they needed to. I'm not saying we all need to do that, but I think there are things you can do which just open up a bit of availability so that people feel it's there if they need it. One of the other things, Martin, I've done with them, um, like being a, young, a younger leader with, with in a church where there are people that are much older than you. Um, I've, I've sat down with a couple of key older couples in the church, just, just me, and, uh, me and my wife and them, and said, I want to ask you to regularly feed back into me as a leader what you're observing in church life. I'm asking you to have that role to bring your voice, to shape what you're seeing. And I've really benefited from some of the things that they've spotted. They felt empowered, and in a way, they represent a part of the church which then feels empowered. But I suppose the key thing about that is I've, I've asked for it, and, and I've gone after it. And um, in some ways, somebody's got to be the top of the food chain, so I don't know who Mike gets input from, I don't know who that person gets input from, but at some point there's someone at the top. Um, but we can have peer-to-peer -peer relationships, fathering relationships, but I would encourage you to ask for it. And that is a vulnerable thing to do. We need to give each other permission to be vulnerable in asking for help. Like Emily was talking about her attempts to kind of try and ask for help within the church and how frustrating that felt. It's a vulnerable thing to ask for help, but we need to do it. I would really, really encourage us to do it. And, and finally, just to sow the seed that there are different social spaces, and these impact on what people feel they're able to do. I used to get really frustrated with my small groups that people weren't bearing their soul to one another and being completely vulnerable about all their inner secrets until I realized that people aren't going to do that in a group of 12 or 15 or 20. If you want people to be really 
honest and open. It probably needs to be a group of just one or two or three people that they really trust. So I've found that I get frustrated about things that are actually not possible. And when I've stepped back and reassessed that, I found that really, really freeing. Small groups are really good at X, but they're not very good at Y. One-on-one -on -one groups are really good at X, but they're not really good at Y. Sunday mornings are really good at this, but they're not really good at that. We need to understand that those spaces exist and that some, some of the things that we're looking to achieve just aren't possible within the space that we've created. So you need that range of spaces in church life. If you've only got the big Sunday morning, then you're only going to get certain things. If you've only got the big Sunday morning and the fairly big small group, you're only going to get certain things. There are other spaces we need to try and create. Brilliant. Thank you, Daniel. So we're going to transition. Really helpful conversations. Thank you so much for people who've fed back uh, in the whole group. Very brave. Um, on your tables, there is a collared envelope, and in that envelope, there are lots of small cards. If any somebody around the table can grab that envelope and hand out the small cards, that would be fantastic. On the small card, there is a question. Now, this is for all you internal processors. We want to give you a little head start for tomorrow. So we're going to give you this question to take away, um, and uh, you can give it a bit of thought tonight, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, uh, or kind of wherever you go. Uh, if you're an external processor uh, like me, and you're probably not going to come up with a better answer uh, overnight as you will do tomorrow morning, then you can leave that question till tomorrow. That's fine. Uh, but um, if you need a bit of time to process it, you can start thinking it through now. So the question is, if I give myself to courageous multiplication of disciples, what will the result look like in 20 years' time? So we've just done the exercise uh, around the tables uh, before around a specific area of ministry. I guess what we're asking now is, what would it look like for you in the area that God has placed you, with the gifting that God has placed you, uh, with the people that God has placed you? What could your investment uh, over 20 years look like? And we want you to start, uh, start to dream. So tomorrow we're going to come back to that question. Uh, and we're going to explore that together, and uh, we're going to make it a little bit more personal together. Everyone still with us? Yeah, have you still got a bit of energy left before dinner? Five people have, that's great. Um, if I can ask the uh, uh, worship team to come back up, what we're going to do is we're going to take some of the things that we've discussed. Uh, we're going to, uh, uh, again, do a bit of the rhythm of resting pushing in, resting, pushing in. So we've kind of been pushing in together. We've been thinking. Um, we've been talking together. Uh, we now are uh, going to bring all of that back into our relationship with the Father. He's not going to ask us to do these things alone. He's not going to ask us to do things that he uh, hasn't done before. Uh, and uh, we're going to respond in worship together and see what God does. So can I encourage you uh, to stand up, move around a little bit, find some space, to come and worship together. Uh, we're just going to spend a little bit of time just allowing God to speak to us, just to worship. And then if you feel God speaking to you in any way or form, uh, please come and uh, grab us at the front and uh, share what you feel God's saying. And then we'll hear where God's going to lead us together.